Welcome to another edition of Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast presented by Subway. I'm Joseph Cacharo, joined in studio as always, my fellow co-host, Joe Wolfon. What up? And we are going to talk some NBA ball as we always do here. We're uh, The majority of the show, I'd say today, is going to be Joe and I picking our all-NBA and all-defensive teams. Um, but before we get to that, let's just kind of run through a few topics du jour in the NBA. So first and foremost, Bucks-Rockets matchup last night. The Bucks end up running away with it. It was not exactly the MVP showdown it was billed to be, but uh, what were your main takeaways from it? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it had been billed as this kind of showdown between Giannis and Harden, and assuredly some people went into that game wanting to be swayed one way or another as they try to decide who they want to vote for in this extremely tight MVP race. But uh, to me, it was Eric Bledsoe who kind of stole the show and really just completely took over that game in the third quarter. He was everywhere defensively, knocking down pull-up threes. Like He just absolutely wrecked the Rockets. Um, and Giannis was obviously also very solid, but I think it was like a B-minus level game by his standards. Um, and then for Harden, I mean, the Bucks went with this same defensive scheme that they had used against him in, I think it was a January game, where they just aggressively sit on that left hand. Bledsoe would just kind of stand there, his hands up, completely conceding the lane. And Brooke Lopez is standing right there underneath the basket. And, you know, it, James Harden can have all the floaters his heart desires. But at the end of the day, the Bucks are willing to live with that. And Harden, I mean, the big key to me is like they only send him to the free throw line five times. He, he shoots five free throws. Uh, he shoots one of nine from three. And, you know, some of this was like PJ Tucker wound up with a bunch of open corner threes off of those driving kicks from Harden that he just clanked. Uh, he had an awful shooting game. So it's not always going to work as effectively as it did in this one. But you look at Harden's line. I mean, 23 points on 32 used possessions. That's about as good a job as you could possibly do against him. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think for the most part, the Bucks have arguably defended him better than anyone else this season. Uh, Bledsoe specifically, as you mentioned, in this game especially, really kind of stole the show on both ends. Uh, and it kind of goes to what I've been saying all year too. I think you'd agree with this, but... I know Middleton made the All-Star game, and it's fine. You know, he, he is a worthy All-Star, I guess, in his own right. But I do think Bledsoe's been their second-best player basically 90% of the season. I think, yeah, I think that's probably true. And especially just because the defensive end has been so important to what they've done and what has made them so good this year. And as, you know, Giannis has obviously been fantastic at that end of the floor, but I think so much of what they do starts with Bledsoe and his ability to apply pressure on the ball to get over top of those screens and challenge shots from behind. Um, he's always kind of able to like stay attached, which is something, honestly, like a lot of teams that play a drop coverage have struggled with that. I think especially this year because there are those kind of new points of emphasis at restricting movement and Bledsoe ha has I think just been better than probably any other guard at doing that at staying attached going around screens um, and also forcing ball handlers away from the direction of the screen uh, he's been a combination I think of just like physical and also really smart defensively so um, another great showcase for him and and yeah to your point I think I would agree I think he's been their second best player and I'm happy that Middleton got recognized right. because I think you know that he's had that coming for a long time but um yeah, a great season for Bledsoe and obviously a great job, you know, by Milwaukee to lock him up to what I think is a really team-friendly extension. Yeah, and then from the Rockets' perspective, I just kind of think, look, obviously Harden's going to have most of the time he's going to be better than he was in this game. But I, I do think it's still a little concerning um, 
especially when with this version of Chris Paul, even though Chris Paul's been pretty good the last month or so, I think we'd agree he's not what he was last year, obviously what he was at his peak. There aren't a lot of secondary scorers on this team. Yeah. You know, you're looking in, if Chris Paul has a down night, Eric Gordon, who's solid, but he's now your secondary scorer for a team that has championship aspirations, like it's not great. And all you need is one night, like last night, where Harden's kind of taken out of the game, and now you're relying on P.J. Tucker and these other guys to like make their shots, or else you're not in the game. And I don't know, you know, maybe it, it gets them through a round, maybe two, and then they end up running into the Warriors again. But there's just, we talked about it ad nauseum, obviously, this season, but there's just, on both ends, honestly, something about the Rockets where you just don't see that legitimate championship window open anymore. Um. Yeah, I mean, th- there have definitely been glimpses right. of it. And I, you know, still think, obviously, again, depending on how the matchups shake out, but, like, if I had to pick right now who I think would be playing in the conference finals alongside Golden State, I would still probably pick Houston. But um, I, I agree, Chris Paul has not been the same, and even though he's looked better lately than he did at the start of the season, he still hasn't even gotten close to the level that he was at last year, I don't think so. You know, that is a concern, and I also just kind of wonder, like, will we see teams mimic this uh, Bucks gimmick defense. I mean, if you want to call it a gimmick defense, I mean, it's been very effective. It's not even like you can say, oh, like, do other teams have the personnel? Because it's not like the Bucks are using their freakish length to do this. No. no, if anything, they're being rather conservative with them. Right, right. And I mean, you know, Brooke Lopez has been very effective mm-hmm. in that scheme, but I think there are a pretty large handful of other centers who could do what Brooke Lopez has done in that scheme, uh, you know, if another team wanted to enact it. So... I'm curious to see whether that catches on a little bit more. Obviously, we've seen less exaggerated versions of that in the past. And I do think probably the most popular, you know, mode of defending the Rockets pick and roll game this year has become actually playing a drop. Uh, I, I just don't think we've seen anybody do it quite as aggressively as the Bucks have. So um, I'm interested to see if that continues. Uh, you know, mentioning the Rockets still being your pick to get to the conference finals, uh, <laughs> team that will almost surely not make the conference finals, and I'm not even trying to make light of it. I'm just kind of stating the facts. The Portland Trailblazers coming, just a sickening injury, both yeah. graphically but also just emotionally. Yeah. Um, were you watching that game with the sound on, by the way? I was, and I was horrific. I, I will never forget that sound. Yeah, that was <laughs> it was a disgusting sound. And then just how eerie, obviously, because the arena kind of gets deafened after being so raucous. It, just a lot of it was honestly pretty disturbing. Mm-hmm. And like I said, even just emotionally, like for the, a franchise that seems to be snake bitten every year. Uh, or every generation at least, um, a player that in Yusuf Nurkic that was having just this awesome breakout season. And um, I guess what we can talk about, and I wrote a piece about this yesterday, but the look, obviously he's not as important as Damian Lillard or even CJ McCollum, but... I think he's more important than McCollum. Yeah, you can make that argument, but obviously not Dame. You know, he's not there, but it's just, he does things that elevate this team's ceiling. And that's kind of what I wrote about is that, you, you know, with Lillard, McCollum, even with like Terry Stotts as this kind of creative coach, there's a floor there, and it's evident uh, in the fact that, you know, this team's made the playoffs six years in a row. They're a perennial 45-50 to 50 win team. They have a chance to win a round every year because of those guys. That that gives them that floor. But Nurkic's development this season raised their ceiling and gave you some hope that, not that they'd win a championship, but that maybe they could get to the West Finals yeah. if they avoided the Warriors bracket. I just, I don't see it now. So, um, I, I don't know about if you disagree with that or... 
I mean, I don't. Uh, I don't want to say this totally quashes their hopes of winning a series. Um, the McCollum injury might have something to say about that. But I mean, it, it's close to eliminating hope of them advancing. And I would say besides whichever team winds up playing the Warriors in the first round, they're now the most likely Western Conference team, I think, to lose a first round series. And that just sucks because I really do think that they were ready to open some eyes in the playoffs. I, I think it was moving in that direction. And, you know, you talked about the feature that you wrote uh, after he got injured. I wrote a feature on the Blazers just before the All-Star yeah. break and wrote a lot of the same things. Like, you know, Nurkic had so much to do with the evolution of their style of play. And like you said, the way that they had managed to kind of raise their ceiling and, and provide a little bit of optimism this year might be different in the playoffs. Like so much of their offense is oriented around his high post passing. And, you know, they've used him as a trigger man a lot more. They run their offense through him. He initiates those <laughs> dribble handoffs with Dame and CJ. They leverage the threat of those dribble handoffs to open up these back cuts. And, you know, if you look at like the breakout season that Jake Lehman has had or, you know, Mo Harkless, who's, who's I think, shooting better from two-point range than he has ever in his career, uh, or even this, the season that uh, Dame is having. I mean, none of that's possible without Nurkic's passing without his screen setting, his ability to make plays on the roll, his ability to just like go through guys to create second chance opportunities by grabbing offensive rebounds. Uh, I, I don't know how they replace any of that. And we haven't even talked about his defense. Like yeah. defensively, I mean, he's obviously, he's a cinder block in the post, but in the pick and roll, he's great. He's got great positioning. He moves his feet really well. He's got great hands. And I think, you know, the Blazers are another one of these teams that play a drop coverage. The most important thing as a big man in a drop pick and roll coverage is patience. And I think Nurkic was ab about as good at that as anybody in the NBA at basically knowing like how long to corral the ball handler, when to drift back to the rolling big man. Um, and like kind of how to time his swipes to be able to like deflect passes. He was so, so good at that. And if you look at basically any catch all metric in the league that you could find this season, um, you know, uh, PER, uh, player impact plus minus, real plus minus, box plus minus. He was in the top 25 in virtually every single one of those categories. And it's just, it's hard to overstate the impact that this is going to have. You, I mean, you mentioned the defense. So top 10 in terms of total number of shots contested. Um, in terms of his opponent's field goal percentage at the rim, Nurkic had a lower mark than Miles Turner and Jared Allen. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of defending post-ups, third behind only Aaron Baines and the Marks Aldridge. And in terms of defending the roll man in pick-and-roll situations, better mark than Clint Capella, Steven Adams, and Rudy Gobert. Like, just no matter how you slice it, this guy was having an awesome defensive season. Yeah. And oh, by the way, had emerged as this kind of like quasi playmaker not point center per se but kind of um like well, you not said, point he, center in terms of handling right, the ball but in terms of like getting as like a high post operator yeah. yeah um he was operating from the high post and even in honestly in pick and rolls too like you go back to that series against new orleans last year when drew holiday and rajon rondo just run, ran rush shot over dame and cj and anytime those guys would come out of a pick and roll there were somehow two bodies on them and no one was really paying attention to nurk or any of the like the bigs on portland whereas this year nurk actually emerges this guy that could make a play four on three out of the pick and roll when one of their guards was trapped. Mm -hmm. Whether that was making a play for himself or just finding a cutter, finding a shooter, keeping the flow, like the offense moving so that it could reset and maybe get back to one of their stars. Taking him out of this lineup is 
is so crippling. And there was a couple people that commented on my feature about how like, well, this is why they got an S Cantor. Yeah. I, like, I, I was ready to have the conversation about whether Cantor was even going to be on the floor in the playoffs. So man, I don't think he's the answer. And, and I put this in my feature too. Like what Nurkic brought to the table, points and rebounds alone cannot replace. And that's all. And S. Cantor is going to give you points and he's going to give you rebounds. He's going to give it all back on the other end. He doesn't see the floor nearly as like there's no replacement for this guy three weeks before the playoffs. No. And I mean, God loves Zach Collins. You know, I'm a fan of his game and I'm sure he will do his utmost. Right. But, um, you know, he, he and Nurkic might as well be playing different sports at this point exactly. in time. Like, he, he's not there yet. And I also want to say, I mean, obviously, I think you feel for Nurkic first and foremost. Because, look, an injury like this absolutely sucks no matter who it happens to. But it seems particularly cruel for it to be happening to a guy who was in the midst of such a special season. And not only that, but in the midst of, like, one of his best individual games during that season. I mean, 32 points, which was, like, a career yeah. high. 16 rebounds, I think four blocks, five assists. Um, and he does it while crashing the offensive glass, which is something he's just done so effectively this year. Um, so you just hope he manages to come back even stronger yeah. the way that Paul George did. I mean, the pessimist in me feels like, at least anecdotally, it's harder for a big man to come back from a traumatic lower body injury like that. Just because you're bearing a little bit more weight, it's a little bit harder to work your way back into shape. Maybe it's a little bit harder to kind of recover your lift and your foot speed. Um, obviously, I, I hope that I'm proven wrong. I just worry um, when it's somebody of Nurkic's size trying to come back from a lower body injury. Yeah. Last last note on Nurkic. The guy had a 5x5 five five this year, man. Yeah. A, like, and a triple-double with five blocks in man. separate games. Just he was absurd. A phenomenal year. Yeah. Um, on a more positive note, Miami Heat retired Chris Bosh's jersey last night. He gave a honestly an awesome speech. It was yeah. a wonderful speech. Uh, finishes it with the uh, typical Bosh like primal scream, roar, whatever you want to call go. it. Let's go! Yeah, the let's go. Like one of his kids was looking. I don't know if you noticed, but in the video when he's doing the scream, like one of his kids that was on the court with him, like is looking at him like he's just the weirdest dude. And the, it's it was kind of funny to see because like we see him as Chris Bosh, and this kid's just being like, "Man, Dad's weird. Like, why is he yelling at this like arena?" Um, but yeah, Bosch, six seasons with the Heat, averaged about 18 points and seven rebounds and almost a block during that time, became a stretch, versatile five uh, on the defensive end as well. Six out of six in terms of all-star appearances while he was with Miami, won two championships. He was the third best player on an all-time team, obviously responsible for the offensive rebound for an all-time moment with Ray Allen hitting the three to save them in 2013. Um, I mean, I, I think it's rather obvious why they retired his jersey. I think for most people it is. If if you go to like the depths and the worst parts of Twitter, you can find people not understanding why they retired his jersey. But yeah. I, I think it's very obvious. This is not Nick Collison with the Thunder here, okay? This guy deserved to have his jersey retired. Yeah, I mean, Nick Collison, I think, had the longevity going for him, and he was just sort of embedded in that culture. But obviously, in terms of on-court impact... Um, it's a different story here, and I, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that he deserved to have his jersey retired, um, given the role that he played in four finals teams and two championship teams. And in a way, Bosch always kind of got a bit of a raw deal in the NBA. You know, he goes to Toronto and is tasked with basically replacing Vince Carter, and he's just a completely different player and a lot less marketable, I think. Um, and, and obviously, his teams just never quite had. Uh, the success that you would have hoped for, not really through any fault of Chris Bosch's. And then he basically has to completely adapt his game and subsume his ego completely to go and play third wheel for those Heat teams. And 
you know, he, he does it brilliantly. You know, he, he willingly adapts to uh, a, a more low usage role, um, starts playing a little bit more out on the perimeter, and really makes their really aggressive defensive scheme work with his ability to kind of track ball handlers out past the three-point line. Um, and I think, you know, the big thing in Miami was that was where he really became an impact defender because he was never that guy in Toronto. And, um, you know, you can quibble over whether those championships would have been possible without him. Uh, I don't think they would have been. And obviously, you know, you talked about that offensive rebound that he grabbed. If you wanted to spotlight one single moment where you could see that impact on display, I mean, uh, probably the biggest offensive rebound in NBA history. Yeah, pretty wild. Um, Chris Bosch's ex-teammate, LeBron James, not going to the playoffs this year. Yeah. First time in a long time. First time in 14 years. We've known for a few weeks now, obviously, that the Lakers are not going to make the playoffs. It is now official as of late Friday night. Yeah, I haven't watched a Lakers game in probably three weeks. Do you, do you have anything to say about this team that you haven't said through the first five months of the season? No, no. I mean, we, we've talked about it so many times. Uh, it, the team was ill-conceived from the start. And I still expected them to make the playoffs just because of the singular brilliance of LeBron James. I think there's an argument to be made that they still would have had he not suffered that groin injury. And I don't know that he ever got back to 100% when he came back from that groin injury. It certainly didn't look like he did. So I think there's a chance that this is good for him. He gets to take the spring and summer off for the first time in a decade and hopefully, you know, heal up, rest his body and gear up for what I hope will be a serious prove it campaign next year. Yeah, more in decade and a half, really, because even the years he wasn't making the finals, like LeBron's never lost in the first round. Man. Right. Even those early years in Cleveland, he was getting to the second or third round every year. Like And if you just look at like the last eight playoff runs where you know they went to the finals every year, that's a hundred and sixty extra games. That's two full seasons that he played on top of the ridiculous workload that he was already carrying. So I think some time off might actually be good for him. And I just really hope that he comes back with a vengeance next season. Yeah, I will say, though, like that, what you just mentioned, the two extra years, basically just in playoff years on his body, the 56,000 minutes under his belt in the regular season, the playoffs, he's now in his mid-30s. He's like, what, seventh all-time or something in in, in regular season playoff minutes? Um, He finally had a serious-ish injury this season that, you know, caused him to miss just about a quarter of the season. It's... It all adds up to, you know, a, the point a lot of us were making when they made these weird moves in the offseason is like, yeah, you're wasting a year of LeBron, what's still left of his prime. And although it seems like he's going to play forever, he's really not. You know, Father Time really is undefeated. Like, um, I wrote something about how the Lakers, this whole season was a top to bottom organizational failure. I think LeBron takes some blame in there as well. Obviously, not as much as Magic Johnson, Rob Palinka, and some others, but. There's some blame to go around there. And just to contrast it to last night, the Clippers clinching a playoff spot for real, you know? Like, everything the Clippers have done, um, despite... They've had this, like, revolving door of stars. They've lost or traded or whatever, four stars, if you include Tobias Harris, in the last year and a half. And they've managed to emerge from that as a well-run, well-coached playoff team in the short term who is a more attractive market, well, the same market, but more attractive team. It should be a more attractive team in the long term. So the last thing I'll say about the Lakers this season is that the Clippers make a point to hide Lakers banners during their home games uh, to kind of like hide any evidence of that Lakers superiority over the years. But I'd say the Lakers are doing a good enough job casting a shadow over that history themselves these days. Wow. I mean, 
that might be a stretch uh, when we're talking about what what fourteen championships. I'm not saying you forget them, but I'm saying in terms of like the modern era, I think they're casting a shadow over in terms of like oh, this era has been a. a a disaster. There's no doubt about it. It's just but. how long can you cling on to like this purple and gold legacy when you haven't made the playoffs in six years and you're kind of run like a clown show at this point? Yeah. Well, I think there's a maybe a broader conversation to be had about that. I, I think there's like a lot of Lakers cronyism that's been going on the last few years. And I don't know objectively whether that's a good or a bad thing. Like so much of the Lakers brand is about legacy. And you know, image is kind of everything for that franchise. And over the years, that's worked for them. That's been a big part of, I think, what has attracted free agents to that team. So I don't know. It's hard for me to say, like, they're doing the wrong things. I think if you look at the people they've hired, obviously, you know, so far, Magic Johnson and Rob Polinka have not done a good job. And those are legacy hires, obviously. And, uh, you know, I think maybe if the Lakers decided to sort of expand their pool of potential candidates for front office positions, they might not be in the position that they're in now. I, I don't really know. But um, again, like I said this a couple weeks ago when we buried them, I, I'm very tired of talking about this team. So um, let's let's move on. Before we move on, oh my Rob Polinka said Contavious Caldwell Pope, the Lakers retaining him was... Uh, akin to bread falling from the sky for the Israelites while wandering in the desert. He said that uh-huh. about Contavious Caldwell-Pope and now Jason Kidd's uh, reportedly the favorite to become their next head coach. I got no faith in this team going forward, even with LeBron, which is wild. All right, like you said, enough <laughs> enough with the bad team talk. Let's get into some hot teams. Let's go. With our Sweet versus Heat segment. Sweet versus Heat. Brought to you by the team at Subway, whose new sweet versus heat chicken sandwiches are making people choose which side they're on. We're going to do it a little differently this week in the sense that instead of two sweet players, we're going to talk about a boatload of players who have had sweet seasons as part of our all-NBA and all-defensive team picks. But before we get there, let's go through two hot teams. So, Wolfon, who is your hot team of the week? I am going with the Charlotte Hornets. What a run they are on right now after it looked like they were just completely dead and buried they were 32 and 39 and this run that they're on kind of started with this heartbreaking loss that they had in Philadelphia uh a game that was sort of within their grasp and Bede wasn't playing in that game and they just couldn't really pull through down the stretch and since then they've reeled off four straight wins in seemingly increasingly improbable fashion uh it starts with them beating the Wolves which okay ho-hum but then they come back from 18 points down with like eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter to beat the Boston Celtics Kemba just went off down the stretch in that game and prompts Kyrie Irving to come out after that game and be like, I don't know why we're not just trapping Kemba like every other team does. So the next game, the next night, the second night of a back-to-back, they go into Toronto to play a Raptors team that was like 29-7 and at home. And lo and behold, the Raptors trap Kemba and he ends up with 13 assists as they just go bonkers from three-point land which included one of the most incredible game winners that I have ever seen from Jeremy Lamb. Uh, 52-foot bank shot uh, as time expired. And then two nights later, they uh, managed to outlast the San Antonio Spurs in overtime. Kemba once again just absolutely goes off down the stretch. And all of a sudden, they're back in the mix, just a game and a half out of a playoff spot. And they have games left against the Pistons and the Magic. That 
game against the Magic, the last game of the regular oh, season. The schedule is looking beautiful. Could be huge. Um, or maybe not, because the Hornets have this like tough four-game Western Conference road trip coming up. So it might not actually matter, but... I just wanted to shout them out because this team really needed something good and inspiring to happen just at some point this season. And um, I just want to show them a little bit of respect for, uh, you know, managing to offer a little bit of hope in what's otherwise been a hopeless year. Yeah, you mentioned a game and a half out of a playoff spot. Uh, they're two games back in the lost column of sixth. Like, the <laughs> the bottom of these playoff race, as, as much as we make it's fun thrilling. of it for being sad because most of the teams are, like, hovering around 500, yeah. look... I'd say, especially this year, even like the bad, like the Hornets and the Magic, they're bad teams, mediocre at best, but they're like better than that range would usually be in the East in previous years. And it's exciting as hell when you consider the fact that all these teams are basically playing each other at some point yeah. over the next couple of weeks. Two games separate six to 10th in the loss column. Like, and that could affect the rest of the East because it matchups in the first round and like the bracket. It's, I don't know. Nobody it, wants to play Orlando. I, I I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> no, but I, I also just want to say, like, yeah, obviously, I don't expect any of these teams to win around in the playoffs. They're not going to factor in when it comes to who's competing for a championship. But a lot of these teams have, you know, unique qualities about them and are actually pretty enjoyable to watch. And don't just casually dismiss them. You know what I mean? Like, give the Nets a watch. Give the Orlando Magic a watch. You know, give the Hornets a watch. Frankly, yeah. like, they can be a pretty fun team to watch. I've always adored watching Kemba Walker play. Uh, and he's been on just another tear lately, kind of akin to how he started the season. Um, so I think, you know, if you're looking for intrigue down the stretch, that's a that's where it's at right now is the, is the six through nine in the Eastern Conference. Six through ten, man. Six through ten. Yeah, but also, like, you're saying give them a watch as if, like, people... Like, what the hell else are you watching? If you're watching the NBA in the last couple of weeks of the season and you're not watching this race or, I guess, like, the West seeding breakdown, because I got news for you. Like, look at the top teams. Uh, Milwaukee obviously got a great win last night, but for the most part, Milwaukee, Golden State, Toronto, like Denver got blown out in, uh, against Indiana the other night. Most of these top teams are very clearly in cruise control mode, just waiting for the playoffs. The bad teams are tanking. It's only that middle ground, the teams that you usually don't want to watch. Guess what? They're the only ones worth watching right now because they're the only ones with something to play for. Yeah. Well, I do think the, those logjam teams in the West that are yeah. sort of jockeying for positioning, like they're playing with a lot of desperation as well. But... Uh, yeah, just all these teams are going all out every night in pursuit of a playoff spot. And, and a playoff spot would mean a ton to these teams. You think about what a playoff spot would mean to Charlotte as, as you know, oh, Kemba baby. Walker heads towards Charlotte, free who could only get 14,000 <laughs> for that game last night against San Antonio, by right. the way. And, you know, you think about what it would mean for Orlando, who haven't made the playoffs since 2012. Um, you think about what it would mean for the Nets, who have come so far in such a short amount of time after what looked like just a harrowing rebuild that could take like a decade. And as a free agent pitch too for the Nets. Right. So, you know, I think a lot of these teams uh, do have a lot at stake, even if it's just one and done. I think it would mean a lot to any which one of them to make it in. Well, let's stay in the scintillating Southeast division. My hot team of the week, the Orlando Magic, winners of six straight, spoiled Bosch night in Miami by beating the Heat. Uh, on the second night of a back-to-back, -to -back too, they beat the Sixers the night before. That's a pretty good sweep of a back-to-back -back for a team trying to get back in the playoffs. And with six straight wins, the Magic, who, you know, much like you were talking about the Hornets, I thought were kind of dead and buried a couple weeks ago. The Magic now in eighth. They're in a playoff spot with a couple weeks left in the season. They're a game under 500. They actually are one of seven teams in the East with a positive point differential, if you can believe that. Uh, and they're coming. They're a game back of sixth. 
And they also they have games against the Pistons and Hornets left so, on the schedule. Yeah, and so. here, they they do have a tough schedule. They're they have seven games left. Five of them are on the road. Yeah, and all five of those road games are against East teams, either in a playoff spot or in this like jockeying for a playoff. So it, it's it's going to be tough for the Magic to close it out. I think, um, but you never I, know. I yeah, I mean, I agree with with the schedule, but if you like some of those teams, I mean, they're gonna play in Toronto one of those games in Boston, the second last game of the season. Those teams might just be locked into their seeds at that point in time and not necessarily throwing their A lineups out there. I also think that the Magic are the best out of these five teams, so I, I would still actually, you know, peg them to snag one of those last spots and. I've been pretty high on this team all season long. I mean, we, you know, we did a sweet versus heat segment. I think it was maybe two or three weeks ago when they were on a similar run. And I, I picked them then as my as my sweet team. So I, you know, appreciate this pick, obviously. I think, you know, we're going to get into our all-NBA teams in a bit. But uh, Nick Vucevic has made a pretty strong case to be one of those centers. He has had an unbelievable year. Um I mean, I think he deserves to be in the most improved player conversation, frankly. Like, he's just been so good. And I think we've talked a lot about what he's been able to do offensively, his ability to score down low, his ability to stretch the floor, his ability to pass. But defensively, I think he's made great strides this year as a guy who has just kind of made up for his lack of foot speed with great positioning and great anticipation in the pick and roll. He's been so much better and so much less of a liability than he's been in the past. So he deserves a ton of credit. And, you know, the guys around him have all played quite well Terrence Ross has had a great season I mean DJ Augustine as much as we bag on their their lack of quality point guard play has had about as good a season as you could have expected out of him and you know Jonathan Isaac continues to develop really nicely this team's been solid defensively all year long um so you know I think if we're looking at teams that uh that one of those top seeds in the east would actually you know feel aggrieved about playing in the first round i put the magic at the top of the list was it you who at the beginning of the year said that uh one of your bold predictions was that the southeast winner would be would have a losing record i yes you're on track baby (laughs) because the the orlando magic first place right now game under 500 my bold southeast prediction uh was that someone other than the Wizards would win the division. So. Yeah. Well, actually, so my bold prediction was that the Wizards would win the division, but that they would do it with 38 wins. Nice. So uh, nice. half right for both of us, I suppose. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also encourage you to check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone. For soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL, and the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone tackles, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, please download the Score app, which is available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our featured content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. So, uh, like I mentioned, for our sweet players making moves this week, we're just going to go with I guess like 25 players by the time we get done with, with all NBA and all defensive teams. So let's just get right into those all NBA and all defensive teams. The way it works for all NBA, there are three teams, first team, second team, third team. So you got a total of six guards, six forwards and three centers. Let's start with your all NBA first team guards. And let's kind of just run through position by position until we have a disagreement. Yeah, I don't expect a disagreement here. It's Harden and Steph. Yeah. They're, they're the two best guards in the league. I don't think it's particularly close. And, you know, they've both easily met the threshold for games played and anything else you'd expect of 
of two guards who I think are, you know, clearly the class of the NBA. So, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have anything to add there. I mean, we know we've talked about both guys, Harden especially, all year. Uh, I think most people know why they right. are the best two guards in the league. Who are your uh, all NBA second team guards? Um, I've got Lillard and Kyrie. Uh, we're still on the same page. There we go. Um, yeah, Lillard, again, I just think a no brainer for that second team slot, especially with the way that he's played lately. And Kyrie, I mean, I know there's been a ton of drama in Boston. I know a lot of people want to lay that at his feet. I don't think he's carried himself as well as you might like from a guy who is purportedly a franchise leader. But if you look at what he's done on the court, there's no question to me that he deserves a second team spot. He's been outstanding. Um, And I think, you know, this has been one of his better defensive seasons too, as good as he's been offensively, as well as he has shot the ball, as much as he's having one of his best seasons as a distributor. Um, he's, he's played pretty well on defense. Uh, he's still like, you know, kind of the weak link in the chain. If you look at that Boston defense as a whole, but for him personally, this is about as well and consistently as I've seen him defend. Yeah. And the thing I'd add too about like, you know, I've had my complaints obviously about the way he's carried himself off the court and some of the comments he's made, but forget about that. And even forget about like the disappointing season in Boston and just consider the fact that if you just look at it from a basketball perspective, the best player on a team that's going to be in and around 50 wins is averaging about 24 points, seven assists, five rebounds, and a steal on 49, 40, 87 shooting. Like if someone just presented you that, and oh, by the way, he's actually been all right on defense this year. You'd be like, that's clearly an all NBA guard, right? And the other stuff is it matters in the grand scheme of things. But if you're just talking about, is this guy a top four guard in this case in the NBA? The answer is very clearly yes. Like let's not get cute with it. Um, all right, from there, two more guards for the third team. Let's see if we have any disagreements here. Okay, so here's what I'll say beforehand. There, I, to me, I had five guards in contention for these last two spots. Um, the two that I went with were Kemba and Russ, and the three that I had to leave out were Drew Holiday, Clay Thompson, and Bradley Beal. And honestly, until this past week, when... Kemba's just kind of gone supernova to keep the Hornets season alive. I don't think I would have had him in that last spot. Because he had cooled off after that crazy start. He had. And I and I, you know, I was kind of leaning toward Drew Holiday, who I think has just really had an underrated season and has obviously had to deal with so much uh turmoil going on with that franchise and has just continued to go out there night after night and get it done at both ends of the floor. But I think with, you know, if you take what Kemba's done on the whole this season, the way that he started the season, the way that he's come on again lately. Um, and, and the fact that he's had to do it with pretty much no help around him, um, but has just continued to score at an elite level, um, you know, has improved as a playmaker. Uh, I, I just think uh, he deserves that spot. And if he does get it, uh, it's been talked about a lot, but that would make him super max eligible this offseason. And that's going to make things very interesting for him in Charlotte. Yeah, I, to be honest, I think that'll probably seal him staying in Charlotte because as much as we say free Kemba, and I'd love to see him on a good team, um, and, you know, Kemba's got money, obviously. He's gotten big contracts and he, he's got endorsements. But he's still not that, like, apex superstar where you can truly say, like, uh, maybe, like, the extra $40 million or whatever it is won't matter. I think it's going to matter to Kemba Walker. So it probably will seal him staying in Charlotte. I agree with you that Kemba is uh, all-NBA third team. I agree that he's, like, this most recent stretch kind of sealed it for me. And to be honest, it made him, for me, the fifth lock, which then left me, like, debating between two guys. Uh, I agree with you that like Drew Holiday was in the mix, even Clay a little bit. And to be honest, I 
I thought about Ben Simmons a little bit too because he is technically a guard. Mm-hmm. But for me, it came down to Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. I'd also lean Westbrook, but to play a little devil, uh, devil's advocate, if I was going to go with Beal, man, like I don't know if people realize how crazy of a season Bradley Beal's having just because the Wizards buried themselves so early and... Um, you know, a lot of his reputation is tied to the jabroniness of like John Wall and the rest of the Wizards organization. But Beal has emerged as like a legit star this year. The guy's averaging 26 points a game. He's carried this team since John Wall went down. And although they haven't really been in the playoff mix, like they started inching towards it basically because of his heroics. 26 points a game, over five assists, over five boards, a steal and a half. Um, Efficient, 54% effective field goal percentage. The Wizards obviously are better with him on the floor, though not by as much as you'd think. Only about a point per 100 possessions. In the end, I'm going with Westbrook just because if it's like a toss-up, at the end of the day, I'd say who would I rather have on the court in 2019, Russell Westbrook or Bradley Beal? I'm going with Russell Westbrook, so I'd give him the edge. But I really don't know if people realize how close Bradley Beal got to this conversation. I just want to point out, and I know Westbrook's had a a weird year, right? Like sub 500 true shooting percentage. You know, the, the Thunder have not been good when he's on the floor without Paul George. And, you know, just his scoring has basically fallen by the wayside. He, he just hasn't been the same scorer that he's been in the past. He's averaging a triple-double for the third straight season. And... I remember this being this like untouchable benchmark, this 50-year-old record that we thought we'd never see again, and he's about to do it for the third year in a row. And you can poo-poo those triple-doubles all you want. Yes, it's kind of arbitrary. And yeah, like maybe he stat pads sometimes, but if you watch him play consistently, like you will know that he's not just padding his stats. If you watch some of the rebounds he gets, where he is like fully boxed out by guys who are a foot taller than him and still somehow manages to tap the ball out, like he's honestly like like no other player in the league in terms of just like how hard he plays every single night. And as much as he hasn't been the Thunder's best player this year and that team's been a bit of a mess lately, his his whole body of work on the season, as kind of up and down as it's been, as poor as he's shot the ball, is definitely deserving of recognition. Yeah. Look, is he the most efficient player? Obviously not. Um, does he take some very questionable shots, especially from beyond the arc? Absolutely. But at some point, you just have to be able to watch basketball and watch enough NBA ball that if someone asks you, is Russell Westbrook a top six guard in the league this year? If your answer is not yes, like what are you smoking? Because he very clearly, he, like you said, it's just the things he does um, from an effort level, from like just this relentless pursuit of the ball, like no one matches him in that regard. And, you know, as good as a guy like Beal or even Drew Holiday or some of these other guys have been, they're just, they're not better than Russell Westbrook even this year. So yeah, I think for the most part, actually, we are. Yeah, we're in agreement on all six guards and where they belong in the All NBA spectrum. Let's move on to the forwards. There's a lot of great ones. Um, I honestly, I don't expect to have any disagreements on this one. Me either. neither. So we might be able to run through this pretty quick. Okay. Uh, first team, I've got Giannis Antetokounmpo and Kevin Durant. Oh wow, I had Paul George. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I made that choice, you know, in the knowledge that I, like Kevin Durant is better than Paul George, and maybe I'm a victim of the narrative about what Paul George has done to his game this season and how Kevin Durant has kind of carried himself. But I just think 
I, it's hard for me to give that much credit to the Warriors when they have just dragged their feet through this entire season. And Durant's been really good. Like, if you look at his numbers, they're very good. He has been an incredibly efficient scorer. He's been a great playmaker. His numbers are off the charts. But, like, he has not defended at a high level. He has moped and sulked through... And even recently, like... I don't know if you've watched Warriors games recently, but there have been stretches of games where he just, like, does not even look to shoot. It's, like, extremely passive, standing in the corner, not looking to get involved, like, very passive-aggressive, almost Kobe-like, where he's trying to prove a point about, um, you know, how badly his team needs him. There's just a vibe around him this year that is, like, I know it shouldn't matter, and I was, you know, talking about this just a minute ago about Kyrie, and it's like, look at what he's done on the floor. But I think it's close enough between him and PG this year that I would give a nod to the guy who hasn't contributed to a toxic atmosphere around his team and who has really given it his all at both ends of the floor all season. So, yeah, I went with PG first team. No, you know what? I think that's a fair argument. Um, Because like you mentioned, it's close enough, right? It's not like we're talking about guys on two different stratospheres. Like, Yeah, Durant's overall the better basketball player. But I think this season especially, it's very close. Um, So, honestly, I've got no problem with anyone giving the edge to Paul George based on what he's done defensively and what he's done as as the best player on that team. Um, The merits for Kevin Durant, whether it's first team, second team, I think are pretty obvious. Uh, Still scoring the ball with insane efficiency. Um, I've got LeBron as the fourth. So, it's the first time in, uh, I believe, 11 years that he's not first team, maybe more. Might be 14 years as well. Um, I've got him as a second team forward. Do you also have him, or you did you drop LeBron right off for a third team? Or I, I didn't drop him off, but I did drop him to third team. Wow. Okay, yeah. so who do you have second team? KD. Uh, I have Durant and Kawhi. Wow. So you've got Kawhi ahead of LeBron. Yeah. I believe they've played roughly the same amount of games. So like the games played shouldn't really matter. Um. Yeah. I again, this is another one of those things where I believe that LeBron is better than Kawhi. I don't know that I can say that he's been better than Kawhi this season. Even granted, you know, the number of games that Kawhi has missed, um, when he's played, he has been such an efficient scorer. Um, I don't think he's been at the level that he's been at in the past defensively. He's still been a lot better defensively than LeBron has. And again, if it, you know, this is one of those things where if it comes down to it and you need a tiebreaker, Kawhi's playing for one of the three best teams in the NBA. And LeBron is playing for a team that's not going to make the playoffs. And I know... That that is not LeBron's fault, but again, if we're looking at tiebreakers, I just I, I give it to the guy who has had more team success, and it's not like the Raptors have had that success in spite of Kawhi. In the games that he's played, he's been so huge for them in crunch time, has hit multiple game winners, like has been their go-to guy down the stretch of games, and has really carried them over the finish line a bunch of different times, um, and and so like. It has an effect, I think, even in the games that he's not playing. It's just a sort of stabilizing influence, knowing that he's there. And for him to be a guy that I think everybody on the team just feels comfortable with and and trusts with the ball in his hands, I just think it's had an outsized impact. And yeah, look, he he has missed a lot of games. um, But I think there's been a calculated reason behind that. And I think that's been a big reason why he's been able to play as well as he has when he's been in the lineup. To be honest, this might be the best... um like pure argument in terms of matchup that we'll have on the all NBA teams. Cause like you just look at the numbers. So 
how close they are. Kawhi's played one more game than LeBron. LeBron's played 20 total extra minutes. Uh, Scoring-wise, LeBron's edging them by 0.4 a game. Rebounds are separated by uh, about one full one. Okay, steals 0.6, blocks 0.2. Like, everything's super close. Kawhi's scoring slightly less, but on slightly better efficiency. He's been the better defensive player. LeBron's averaging over eight assists per game on a team that desperately needs him to do those things. I, I, I see what you're saying. I still go LeBron. I just can't. Even LeBron at whatever he's been this year, 70% and like not really playing defense, I still think um, if he had played more games, like that very flawed team probably gets to the playoffs in the West. And you mentioned just how good the Raptors have been even without Kawhi. I think we obviously agree they need Kawhi to be the team we expect them to be in the playoffs. I'd still go even by 2018-19 performance. I still feel like I'd rather have this version of LeBron than Kawhi, which is more honestly just a testament for me to LeBron's greatness than mm-hmm. anything Kawhi's done wrong. Um, okay, so that pushes LeBron down to third team for you. I am second team, but we're in agreement on five forwards so far in Giannis, yeah. Paul George, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and Kawhi Leonard. So who is your sixth forward? Blake Griffin. Okay, we're in agreement there. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he's he's been unbelievable all season long. He has uh, kept that Pistons team afloat um, despite not having you know well fitting talent around him um, and and a bit of a mismatched roster with not a lot of wing depth and not a lot of guard depth. Uh, the way that he has built out his game in order to assume a lot of the playmaking responsibilities that might otherwise be taken on by a more competent core of wings and guards. Um, has been has been amazing and and his ability to suddenly like shoot off of the dribble to basically like he's been trending toward being a point forward for a long time but he's never done it at close to the level that he's done it at this season um and the number of different ways that he can score whether it's you know out on the perimeter shooting pull-up jump shots or just taking basically any smaller defender into the post and wrecking them um his defense is a bit shaky i think but offensively um there's not a whole lot to quibble with there yeah, I think uh, for me, it came down to Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge for this last spot. Yeah, and same. I just think Blake Griffin is a lot more important to his mediocre team than LaMarcus Aldridge is to his good team. Um, like, if you look at this Pistons roster, I know Drummond has had an awesome season and a, a much improved season, but this is not a talented team by any stretch of the imagination. And once you get past those two guys, it's pretty dire. And they're an above 500 team that's probably going to finish 6th or 7th in an in a improved East. And it's all because of Blake Griffin. Like, all the things he's always done well, he's he's still doing well. He's scoring, like, the best rate of his career, which is right. insane. When you consider how long ago it feels like his peak is. He's having the best scoring year of his career. He's also shooting over 35% on almost 7 three-point attempts per game. Like, he's doing so much on the offensive end, kind of still being a point forward when needed. For me, as much as Aldridge kind of made it a, a debate, it, once you really start digging into the numbers and where each team is, I think it became pretty clear that Blake Griffin was an All-NBA player this year. Yeah, and I, I mean, Aldridge was like the one forward where I could consider him a snub, but even then, I don't think he was actually particularly close. I think the, the six forwards were very clear-cut. All right, let's go to the one place uh, centers still have a place in, in the world of basketball, and that's on the All-NBA teams. Because three centers will get all NBA nods. And you know what? I've In the past, I've said I think they should go the all-star route and just go guards in front court. And I've even said, like, why? Centers right now are the only position where their specific position gets an all NBA spot as mm-hmm. opposed to guards and forwards, not point guards, shooting guards. 
I'd say this year I'm okay with it just because of how good these centers have been. So let's start with your first team All-NBA center. Um, Joel Embiid. Yeah, agreed. But I also, I, I want to address that point actually because I think there have been so many good centers in the NBA this year that if they did do away with the positional distinctions for All-NBA and All-Defensive teams, there would actually be more than three centers on you these think? rosters. I do. Um, which we can get into in a second. But anyway, I had Embiid... Uh, He's just been a monster. I don't, you know, we've talked about him enough. I don't know how much I really need to add at this point. Like, the guy is an absolute beast on the low block. Uh, he is one of the very best defensive players in the league, um, an ace rim protector, and, you know, somebody who has basically completely carried the Philadelphia 76ers in spite of the talent that they have around him. They've been awful when he hasn't played. And, you know, that should tell you something about how good he is. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's literally putting up numbers we haven't seen since Shaq when you look like across the board. I also went with Embiid first team. If I wasn't going to do it, it's because of the games played. He's only played 61 games. He'll probably finish in the 65 range, which to me is enough to make All-NBA, but it at least made me question whether it should be first team or not. My second team All-NBA center is Nikola Jokic. Yeah, same. Um, Again, I don't think there should be much argument. Those, right. are, those are the top two. Um, Best player on a team that's pushing the Warriors for the number one seed in the West. That's been as consistent as any non-Milwaukee team all year. Obviously not the greatest defender, but probably not as bad as some people think he is on the defensive end. And just an absolute wizard on the offensive end, scoring and playmaking. Um, third team, All-NBA center. This was a really tough one for me. Uh, I went with Rudy Gobert. So did I. <laughs> so so we had the, the same 15 players. Is that what you're telling me? We did. That is actually wild. Okay. Although I guess it's not that wild when you think about it. Like I do, it, I don't think any of us, or I guess we went with the same players, or both of us. But we didn't go like off the board with any of these ones. They're the safe picks, but they're also to me the obvious picks. Like other than mm. maybe a Beal or maybe an Aldridge. Like I don't know. Did we really leave any completely deserving guy off? Well, so this, like I said, this one was tough for me. The, this last center spot, and to go back to my earlier point, I mean. If there were no positions, if they were just picking the 15 best players in the league, Towns to me is on one of these teams ahead of ahead of Kemba probably. Um, and Nick Vucevic, man, like he's got a pretty strong case as one of the 15 best players in the league this season. He really does. Uh, so those were my two really tough omissions for that last center spot. But ultimately, I just had to give it to Gobert given his ridiculous defensive impact. Utah got off to a bit of a shaky start at the defensive end of the floor. Uh, they have surged back up to second in the NBA. He is, of course, you know, the best defender of the pick and roll that there is in the league. And um, uh, just given his overall contributions to the Jazz, and uh, that team is quietly having another very solid season, uh, I had to give him the nod over those other two guys. Two things. What does it say about the um, disappointing off-the-court season Anthony Davis has had? Hmm. That the guy is basically averaging 26 points, 12 rebounds, two blocks, four assists, almost two steals, and neither of us even considered him for an All-NBA team, or at least haven't mentioned him. And look, I think skill-wise, talent-wise, like all of it, he's an All-NBA player. But I think the damage he did to the Pelicans and inadvertently kind of to the Lakers this season um, can't be ignored. And then just the the way it ended with him now like being on this weird minutes restriction and not playing in like crunch time and the Pelicans falling out of the race, it really did taint his image, at least in the short term. And I think that does play a factor when there are so many other talented bigs right. to choose from. Yeah. 
And I don't really care about his image so much, you know, in this discussion. But it's like you were saying. I mean, he he torpedoed the Pelican season and then basically stopped playing meaningful minutes after the All-Star break. So I don't know what you do with that. He is obviously a transcendent talent. And he was having an unbelievable season before all this happened. Absolutely would have made one of these teams. But um, it did happen. And uh, at this point in time, I just I don't know if you can reward him for uh, for the way he finished out the year. Yeah. And the second thing I, I'll say, and you know, we've said it a lot, but if you're not convinced that we are in the golden era of legitimate superstar talent, just look at the all NBA teams this year and look at the guys who are not going to make it like. Nick Vucevic, even Anthony Davis with all the stuff we just mentioned. Carl Anthony, go look at Carl Anthony Towns' numbers. This guy's probably not going to make an all-NBA team. And then tell me we are not in the golden era, the golden age of absolute star talent. It's remarkable. We might be in the golden age of defensive talent too. Um, So let's get to these all-defensive teams. It seems like most players in the league would tell you that nobody wants them playing defense anymore. So You know what? I think these guys would disagree. So let's go with our... So all defensive teams, there's only two of them. There's not three. So you're looking at four guards, four forwards, two centers. Who are your all-defensive first-team guards? And let's start disagreeing on stuff. Uh, Okay, we'll see. My my first-team guards are Marcus Smart and Eric Bledsoe. Okay, we disagreed on one. Okay. Smart is the one we agree on. I think he's a wizard defensively at a guard position. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. He can guard... Any player, basically. I mean, like he can he can guard one through five. Like he he is an absolute bull in the post. Uh, he can switch on to just about anybody. He's insanely physical. He gets into the body. He gets deflections and steals. He takes charges. Um, you know, and and again, it's like it's a combination of brain and brawn. Um, his his strength and his intelligence defensively. Um, I think he's been up there among the most impactful perimeter defenders in the league this season. Yeah, and he just seems to be everywhere. Like we talk about big men who are everywhere defensively that are like closing out like Marcus Smart is a guard that is everywhere defensively like you see him um like on a switch and then next thing you know he's like 40 feet away getting a steal uh it's pretty awesome to watch I actually had Drew Holiday as my other um all defensive first team selection at the guard I don't know if he's been as good defensively as he was last year which I think was his peak yeah I agree um, I don't think he has been defensively but I still think he is one of the best two um perimeter guards in the league, even if uh, one stat I like is um, defensive plays f- per foul. So it's a combination of steals and blocks. Um, obviously, compared to fouls, Drew Holiday consistently at the top of that leaderboard among guards and is again this year mm-hmm. in the top 10 overall in a stat that's mostly big men. Um, I just still think he's there. To a point to, about that stat, um, the the crazy thing to me uh, has always been Kawhi Leonard, who has more career steals than fouls. Yeah, and he's like been <laughs> which is basically like, his entire career top yeah. three in that leaderboard. Yeah, um, so that that is one stat that I do particularly love, and uh, I agree. I mean, I, Holiday is one of the best at using his hands, you know, to knock the ball loose, uh, to create turnovers, and, and to do it without fouling. Um, so I think that's a worthy inclusion. Although he didn't make even my second team. Uh, but uh, he was definitely one of the toughest omissions. Why'd you have Bledsoe? I, I had him. I had right. him, just I had him on my second team. Okay. Uh, I just think, yeah, next to Smart, you know, he's been the best point guard defender in the league to me this season. And we talked about it at the top of the show. I don't, you know, I, I feel like I pretty much uh, explicated all the reasons that uh, 
he is on my first team all defense um, when we were talking about why he's been the second best player on the Bucks. It's uh, his defense at the point of attack. It's just been like no other. And uh, if you if you talk about the reasons that the Bucks' defensive scheme has worked as well as it has this season, he's he's right there at the top of the list. Um, so I, I definitely thought he was deserving. And uh, you know the Bucks have the the best defensive rating in the league and have pretty much from the jump. So uh, I, I felt he deserved to be rewarded. Who are your other two? Patrick Beverly and Derek White. I like the White pick. I considered it. I didn't go that route, but um, yeah, I mean, I think you can make the argument Derek White is responsible for the Spurs even being semi-respectable defensively. Yeah, if you look at their numbers uh, with him on the floor, they are very much a respectable defensive team when he plays, like top eight in the NBA. And uh, when you consider how how putrid they have been otherwise um that's quite impressive and i just think he's another one of these guys who is so versatile who can guard so many different types of players whether it's quick guards or like stronger bulkier forwards he can toggle between those two assignments pretty seamlessly he's stronger i think than he looks but he also has that lateral quickness to just stay in front of guys and um yeah, I mean, the, the fact that he has been, the, I think, the single biggest driver of keeping the Spurs' defense afloat um, was deserving of recognition. And then Patrick Beverly, just another one of these guys who is, like, going to make your life absolutely miserable every time you play against him. And even if he isn't quite as, like, positionally sound as some other guys at his position, it doesn't even really matter just because if, if you're going up against Patrick Beverly, like... He's just going to be all over you and he's going to be bothering you. Like maybe he'll pick up some fouls along the way, but it's just going to completely throw you out of your rhythm and he's going to be inside your jersey all night. And, and if there's a loose ball, he's probably getting it. And honestly, yeah. maybe don't even go for it because, like, not because he's dirty, but like he's going to come out with that ball and you might come out worse for wear. Ask <laughs> yeah. Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Um, and again, it's just like, look at that Clippers team and and look at the intensity they've played with and, and the way that they have managed to keep on chugging in spite of the roster turnover. I think he's had as much to do with that as almost anybody. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. So essentially we've got uh, our our agreements were Marcus Smart, Patrick Beverly, and Eric Bledsoe. I went with Drew Holiday. You went with Derek White. I think if anyone else might be a snub, maybe Danny Green, I thought, was, yep. was Danny in the Green conversation. Was, was my, Danny Green and Clay Thompson were my two honorable yep. mentions at the yep, guard spot. I can see that. So let's move on to the, the four forwards. Um, I'll start this time. I've got my first team... All defensive forwards are Paul George and P.J. Tucker. Uh, I had Paul George and Giannis. Wow, all right. Yeah. Um, Paul George, again, I mean, both Paul George and Giannis, we've talked about what they've been able to do defensively kind of all season because uh, they've both been in the MVP mix in large part because of their defensive exploits. Um, they do it in a little bit of different way. Like, Paul George is an on-ball guy who can just, like, smother pretty much anybody with his wingspan, um, with his lateral speed, with his hands and his ability to kind of poke for steals and get deflections. And uh, Giannis is more of a rover who, you know, can basically teleport from the rim to the three-point line and defend multiple people at once. And again, you know, the, the Bucks defense has been number one in the league all season long. I talked about Bledsoe's impact on that, but, you know, Giannis has, I think, been just as important. So... Uh, I went with him. I, I did have PJ Tucker on my second team because I, I think he's been unbelievable, but I couldn't put him ahead of Giannis. All right, so we've got um, PJ Tucker, Paul George, and Giannis Antetokounmpo in some form. That leaves one. 
I, this was actually a harder decision than really it hard. should be. And yeah. a lot of it is because of the games played thing again. But I did end up going with Kawhi just because Ooh. at the end of the day, um, like you had him like all NBA second team in general and the edge being his defense compared to LeBron. I still think... His edge being defense compared to LeBron. Right. Look, I think Kawhi's defense has slipped from what it's usually been. I still think if you're if you're polling NBA players based on even just this season and you're saying come up with four forwards you absolutely don't want to play like on the on that end I still think Kawhi's name is right at the top yeah um but it, for me it was between him and Paul Millsap Millsap was one of my honorable mentions but he didn't make so it So who I, made it then if Kawhi and Millsap did not make it Thaddeus Young Wow yeah uh I've watched a lot of Pacers games this season I know season. you have Thaddeus Young has been unbelievable at the defensive end of the floor and um again it's another guy where his just his versatility is incredible you know basically positions two through four uh he'll have that on lockdown and he he is just like basically i think so good at nudging guys away from their comfort zones and basically angling them in such a way that like he he basically guides them to like an inefficient spot whether that is like he leads them into traffic whether he leads them directly into Miles Turner waiting at the rim uh his defense in transition i think has been outstanding and again it's just like his combination of size and strength and quickness allows him to guard almost any player and the Pacers are another one of these teams that just have such a solid defense all year long um, and, and that's kind of carried them to a top four seed in the East. He's had as much to do with that as anybody. I, like I said, I went with, uh, if I wasn't going to go with Kawhi, it was going to be Millsap for me. Uh, the Nuggets still have a top 10 defensive rating, a, a roster that is not at all tailor-made for the defensive no. end. So some credit to Mike Malone, obviously. But to me, the anchor of their defense is Paul Millsap. You know, I, I 100% agree. And, you know, I just wrote a long piece about the Nuggets, actually. Check that out. Also, yeah, plug that, because that is a great piece Joe wrote about the Nuggets. Um, and I wrote about just kind of how they've managed to paper over Nikola Jokic's defensive limitations. And Millsap has, has been the biggest reason that they've been able to do that, um, because they go with this more aggressive scheme. A lot of teams kind of try to protect their bigs by dropping them back, keeping them close to the basket. They don't do that with Jokic. They bring him up high. And that really requires a lot of precision and intelligence are the guys who are rotating behind him and nobody does that better than Millsap does yeah he also has the best hands for a big man maybe that I've ever seen in terms of like getting steals like getting a steal per game is hard enough um for players on the perimeter let alone for a big man Paul Millsap again averaging over a steal per game this is now the let's check here you're looking at about 10 straight seasons that Paul Millsap has had at least a steal per game which is honestly remarkable for a big man i just think he's really smart he's always in the right spot great hands mm-hmm. like we mentioned he's anchoring a team that's got a top 10 defense and has no business doing that um and we're saying all this about him and yet i didn't even have him on my all defensive first or second team yeah. just because there are so many insanely good defensive forwards in the nba and we haven't really talked about pj tucker in all this but holy crap has yeah. he been good yeah. at that end this year like honestly there were stretches where he was single-handedly holding that rockets defense together and it hasn't been good. Like, they've been one of the worst defensive teams all year long, but don't put that on PJ. Uh, he's done everything that you could possibly ask him to do. And it's like, if I if I wanted to pick one guy in the league for one possession to defend, like, a strong forward, like LeBron, uh, Kawhi, like a guy like that, I think PJ Tucker might be the guy that I would choose. Yeah, Just, I, I don't think anyone would fault you for that. Um, 
All right, let's wrap things up with our two all-defensive centers. This, I, I don't think the first team should have been much of a debate. I went with Rudy Gobert. Yeah, so did I. Okay. Um, reigning defensive player of the year, might win it again. Um, I think the debate might be the second team. I think there are two guys in the mix for it. Who did you go with? I went with Miles Turner. I'm assuming you went with Embiid? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, I, I could easily be swaying into Turner, but let's disagree on something. So yeah, I'll go Joel Embiid. I explain why it's Miles Turner. Um, I just think so much of what the Pacers have done defensively this year has revolved around what Turner's been able to do at the rim. And the, the Pacers play like pretty aggressive. Uh, they don't like to switch a ton. They like to play one-on-one and, and they try to force a lot of turnovers. And the fact that they have Turner back there and that he's been so good as a help side guy and as a, as a rim protector has really allowed them to play a lot more aggressively on the perimeter. And I don't think any of that is really possible without him there. Um, you know, the, I even considered having him on the first team. Ultimately, I went with Gobert just because I think Turner just still does have some limitations. He's still not a great defensive rebounder. And honestly, his rim protection has kind of slipped a little bit as the season's gone along. But there, there haven't been many interior defenders who have been better than Turner that has this year. And it's not just kind of coming over to help and, and getting weak side blocks. It's like, he's pretty sturdy in the post, man. Like he's kind of hard to move. And even if you do manage to move him, like he's still so long and his positioning has gotten so much more solid that he's still going to be there lurking, ready to change your shot. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just thought, look, I had two bucks guys on there because their defense has been, tops in the league this year paces has been top three pretty much all year i thought they deserved to have two guys as well yeah i'll go with Embiid. i i mean i don't disagree with anything you're saying about miles turner when joel Embiid's on the court the sixers defend like the best team in the nba their defensive rating is under 104 it's 103.5 they'd be the only team in the nba under 104 and when he's off the court they defend like what they usually do which is like the 108 109 range which is still good it's like the 10th or 11th range but yeah joel Embiid is the difference between that team being absolutely elite and the cream of the crop defensively and then being you know better slightly better than average um the games played thing probably comes into a factor here though i think turner's been more consistent defensively just because he's been on the court longer but yeah i just think the way joel Embiid transforms philadelphia's defense um might be a little more profound than miles turner i think that's up for debate yeah i mean the, the sixers defense has just been kind of disappointing to me this year and i that's not Embiid's fault right and i agree it has been like their perimeter defense has been the issue and not right. obviously not Embiid's ben interior Simmons, defense. Ben Simmons, to me, his defense has slipped this season. Really? Yeah. Whereas, yeah I think it's just bit, like they just don't have a ton of really good perimeter defenders. So yep. that's that's kind of been it. As, as good as Jimmy Butler is, like beyond him, they don't have any like high-end perimeter defenders. Yeah. Uh, and they've struggled to defend point guards because they don't have a point guard defender on the roster. Um, so I, I, it's, it's hard to fault Embiid for that. At the same time, I do feel like he hasn't been quite the impact rim protector that he's been uh, in the past. I feel like he's slipped in that area a little bit. And there have just been a few games where it's like, I don't know, like guys can take him into the post and score over him. And and I know like, whatever, that's the case for Rudy Gobert as well. Um, so, you know, it's not, it's not damning necessarily. It's just, uh, I, I just don't think that he has been quite as impactful as those other two guys. 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there are a lot of guys to choose from. Uh, we didn't even mention guys like, unfortunately, again, Nurkic, um, or even guys like Jared Allen or Steven Adams, who hasn't played well the last Steven couple Adams months because really I think he's hurt. Off. Yeah. Um, Horford, though. Yeah, like, there you go, right? There's just the amount of guys that are still elite defenders in the mm-hmm. NBA when everyone thinks defense has gone by the wayside. It's like, no, there's still some great defenders. Yeah. And the- also, and this is going to shock some people, but he did make my honorable mention, Brooke Lopez, man. Honestly, I got no problem with that. Brooke Lopez is a low-key defensive stud. Yeah, and if you... I mean, he has been asked to play a highly specialized role. And ultimately, that's why I would never put him on one of these two teams, just because he doesn't have to do nearly as much as some of these other guys have to do. But in that role, he's been as good as just about anybody. You look at you know the best rim protectors this league in terms of... Uh, this season in terms of um, defensive field goal percentage at the rim. He, he's... Better than Embiid, he's better than Gobert, he's better than Turner. Um, he's blocking a ton of shots, and you know we were talking earlier about how their scheme has worked against the Rockets and James Harden. Brooke Lopez has had a ton to do with that. Um, he has been a, a massive deterrent at the rim, and has just has played his role about as well as you could hope. Yeah, I got no arguments there. Honestly, don't think we had enough arguments in general this week. <laughs> but uh, hopefully, when we come back next week with our awards picks. Um, we'll we'll argue a little bit and have some differing opinions. I think we will. Until then, I'm Joseph Cacharo for Joe Wolfon. It's Pound the Rock. Mm-hmm.